I'm your host, Matt Bergman, and today my guest is Teresa Kettlecamp. Teresa spent 29 years serving the state of Illinois as a police officer and was the first female to attain the rank of colonel with the Illinois State Police. Since her retirement in 2003, Teresa has worked to protect minors. In 2016, she moved to a staff position in Rome with the Pontifical Commission for the Protection of Minors, which is an advisory group to Pope Francis. She currently serves as the moderator for the commission's group that works with survivors of abuse. Uh, in addition, Teresa was also on the Quincy University Board of Trustees and served as its chair in the past. In today's episode, Teresa will share with us the road that led to working with that commission and how important faith and family have been to her journey. So, Teresa, thank you so much for joining us here today in studio. Well, it's my honor. Thanks, Matt. You grew up in a Catholic home uh, years ago. We won't say how many. And uh, can you tell me a little bit more about your childhood? Well, that was about 29 years ago, to be exact. (laughs) Um, It was a typical 1950s, 60s Catholic home. My parents were devout Catholics. We went to Mass every week. My mom was involved in the church. My dad taught philosophy, which has a religious bent at the University of Illinois. We went to St. Raymond's for eight years. Excuse me. So uh, my whole foundation until high school was Catholicism, and it was just a norm for our family. Our friends were mixed. Some didn't belong to the Catholic Church, but for the most part, our friends were Catholic. So um, how we did what we did religiously was just who we were. So that was the foundation that I brought into high school. And then, again, I brought into college and now into my life experiences. So I think uh, I remember you talking about a story involving St. Therese. Oh, yeah, that's, um, oh, that's a good one. That's a good, good, you have a good memory. Um, St. Therese was a little nun in France. She, she said that she, she died at age 24 and she of tuberculosis. She was a Carmelite, and she said she would spend her life in heaven doing good on earth. In fact, it's interesting, the more I read about her, the more she said if she couldn't do that, if God and his angels and his saints wouldn't allow that, then she didn't want to go to heaven because she wanted to continue praying for people um, here on earth. But... um. In, in, I grew up in Chicago, and for some reason, my parents, my, my adoptive parents, um, could not have kids. So they worked with St. Vincent's Orphanage in Chicago. And this was, um, um, well, in the early 50s, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> and one day in the middle of winter in February, we lived in a kind of a dead-end street. There was a knock at the door my sound effect. <laughs> There's a knock at the door, and there was uh, um, one of the kids in the block. Everybody knew each other, and she, he had this handful of roses, long-stemmed roses. And a lot of la- ladies had little hot houses. So she said, where did you, who gave these to you? Oh, he said, these are for you, Mrs. Morris. And she said, well, who gave them to you? And he kind of halfway turned and looked behind him and said, oh, that lady over there. And so my mom looked, and the lady was gone. 
Now, you're talking Chicago in February, snowy, cold, and I'll be honest, you don't get many strangers in our block just because it's a dead end. And um, and he just said, matter of fact, oh, she's gone. But everybody knew each hmm. other, Mrs. Gates, Mrs. Group, Mrs. Lemke, and so on. So she knew right away, my mother, that her prayer had been answered because how St. Therese answers prayer is sometimes by a showing of roses, either a, a rose, a smell of a rose, a rose picture. And right after that, she got a call from St. Vincent's Orphanage saying, um, and these are my mom's words, not mine, we have the perfect little girl for you. And that was me, and I was adopted um, I was born February 13th, adopted February 20th. Wow. So, yeah. So um, I've always, that has anchored my faith in the belief of angels and saints and saints on earth and prayers answered. Absolutely. Yeah. So that that's, is, it's a that's great a story. good memory on your part. <laughs> well, you graduated from Quincy College in uh, 1974 with a degree in politi- political science. Tell us about what you did after graduation. Well, I started grad school at the University of Illinois, downtown campus in Chicago, in sociology, because I was always interested in criminology and the causes of crime, why, why are people criminals, etc. And I also wanted to know the more concrete. If you did this crime, what are your consequences? 5 to 10, 10 to 20, what's mandatory, what's not? But sociology wasn't really what I was looking for. So I started um, working for a a, um, state department, I guess, called the Illinois Bureau of Investigation. And it um, investigated, it was a statewide investigative agency, and it investigated um, narcotics, organized crime, and they called it like diversive narcotics, like legal narcotics like pharmaceuticals that were illegally diverted into the street. So as I worked there temporarily, waiting to get back on my feet with education, I thought I could be an IBI agent because they all get paid the same. There was no differential in pay between genders. So I applied and was accepted. So that got me in to the Illinois Department of Law Enforcement, and then in 77, we merged with the state police detectives. So I continued in that larger uh, combined organization um, as an investigator for a number of years. And, and really spent the whole rest of your, what you might call the, the, a career, yeah. working in Illinois State Police all the way up into 2003. And as you said, I retired as a colonel. Um, I was, oh, I guess gifted to have a number of positions in a number of divisions um, at the time. And I ended up retiring from the forensics division, which we had 13 labs around the state and the third largest forensic system in the world after the FBI and Scotland Yard. I don't know where it stands now, but we did um, analyses in 13 different disciplines. Wow. Holy cow. Yeah, and DNA changed a lot of that. Yeah. You know, but but one of the interesting stories is people watch a lot of TV, 
So those are the same people who sit on juries. So they want to come in and they want to know, well, did you do this test and did mm. you do this test? And it's kind of funny because what they see in 23 minutes of a 30-minute show <laughs> would take us like a year and a half. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you use the word retire, but I think we probably should use that word pretty loosely uh, because you've continued since then, which has been 17 years, to work to protect minors. And you've done a number of different things over there, a lot of them having to do with the Catholic Church. Um, and I think, to me, one of the most interesting is your work in Rome and your work with the Vatican. Yeah. So tell us more about that. That is, talk about another miracle. I was offered an opportunity to work um, with the U.S. bishops and participate in the first audit of the Charter for the Protection of um, Children and Young People. And that came out of the meeting in Dallas in 2002 when the Boston Globe story broke. So <clears throat> I did audits for a couple years and then was um, fortunate enough to get the position as head of the office in Washington, D.C. So then I did that for a number of years and then retired. But then I heard that in Rome they developed a similar office, the Pontifical Commission that the, um, the Pope had established. And how that established is... When the new pope came in, this was the new pope then would be Pope Francis, his cardinal said, these are the things you need to focus on and gave him a list of top priorities from their opinion. And one was the protection of children because by 2013 or so, when the commission was established, um, the clergy sexual abuse really um, exploded in the U.S., but it also exploded in Ireland and in England um, and other places of the world. So he did. So then out of the blue, I did not know the head of that office, um, and this is good for all young people to listen to. No one came to me and said, we'd love for you to work for, for us. That, that just didn't happen. I emailed the Monsignor in Rome and said I would be um, honored to work for you to the point I'd even move to Rome and do anything that I could and here's my background investigatively, forensically, with the charter of the U.S., with auditing, with guidelines, you know, um, codes of conduct, etc. So he said, well, I've talked to the Cardinal, Cardinal O'Malley, headed the commission, would you be willing to come to Boston and talk to the cardinal? And I had known and met the cardinal since I worked with him at the U.S. Conference of Catholic oh. Bishops. So I said, sure. I mean, I mean, I know of him. I knew who he was. He knew who I was. And so I went to Boston, met with the cardinal, and what he said was, it's so nice that you would offer to help us. I was floored. <laughs> I thought he would you know, give me this long interview, what's your philosophy, where do you stand? So that was in, I um, wrote the Monsignor in the summer, which is kind of vacation time in Rome. I met with the Cardinal, I think, in October. And then I moved to Rome. And I worked inside the Vatican, in Santa Marta, there's a section that we had an office, 
and I worked on guidelines and codes of conduct and on the website and helped with the current Pontifical Commission, the, the first one. So when it came time to establish the second tenure of the commission, um, well, first of all, I worked there for a couple years, and then Katie, in the meantime, got married and um, became pregnant. And then her pregnancy, not to say anything, out of school, but was a little iffy because of her health with diabetes. And I just remember um, being at the bus stop in Rome and Katie calling and saying she'd been hospitalized again and then again and again. And when she was about to have baby Taylor, that was in 2016, and, I, and they were changing the um, commission from uh, current members to addition, you know, a new, new set of members. And so I said, I need to go home and be with my family. So I went home in November of 2017. And then the um, Pope called, the Pope called, listen to me. Um, <laughs> yes, he has my phone number. I can't, I don't, we'll excuse I, you if he calls yeah. right now. <laughs> yeah. I, as if I speak any of the languages he speaks. <laughs> but um, Cardinal O'Malley called and said he had spoken to the Holy Father, and he wanted to know if I'd be willing to accept a position on the Pontifical Commission. And, um, of course, I said, are you sure you meant to call me? <laughs> <laughs> I, I pictured the Cardinal with all this paper on his desk picking up the wrong paper for the wrong phone call and called me for the wrong job. But so that's where it stands now. I um, sit on the Pontifical Commission. My term ends in, I think, 2022 because of COVID had extended it a year. I chair, they call it moderate, a working group on working with survivors. And my goal is to integrate the voice of the survivors into the ministry of the Catholic Church. So oftentimes the survivor's voice is never heard, and we just think we know what we need, they need, and we need to ask each survivor, how can the church help you heal? So that's where things stand now. I'm still on the commission. I have just developed a series of five webinars for consideration by the entire commission on um, the issue of the healing and working with survivors. What, a, what an amazing journey. I mean, <laughs> well, really. even I look back and think, really? Yeah, it, it's, it's uh, I think, a very, very awesome thing that you've been able to do in, nice. in your quote-unquote yeah. retirement. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it doesn't sound like you're slowing down anytime soon. But now we're going to do is take a, a, a brief break. When we come back, Teresa's daughter, Katie, is going to join us. And we're going to talk about faith and family and the family's recipe for overcoming life's hurdles. I'm Matt Bergman, and you're listening to From the Hawk's Nest. Have you dreamed of completing a bachelor's degree but have to work full-time? The St. Clair Professional Studies Program at Quincy University provides a flexible schedule for adults wanting to complete a degree. The St. Clair Professional Studies Program conveniently offers classes online so you can work full-time while pursuing your degree. 
Take the next step in your educational journey. Visit quincy.edu today. And welcome back to From the Hawk's Nest. I'm Matt Bergman, and today we are chatting with Teresa Kettlecamp, a QU alumnus from 1974. And we are joined also today by her daughter, Katie, who's a 2006 alum, and a future QU Hawk, Taylor, who is three years old, is joining us. And you may hear her um, if she decides to chime in as we continue this wonderful conversation. Um, your family does not shy away from challenging work. That is um, very evident in uh, Teresa and, and all the stories you've talked to us about with your work with the state police and your work in Rome. Um, but you've also had to overcome hurdles in your career and your personal life. So let's kind of dive into that and talk. And we'll, Katie, we'll start with you. And, and uh, maybe, maybe you could start off before we get into even some of the hurdles about your time at QU and maybe what your fondest memory of Quincy University is. Ooh, well, actually, I was having a talk with my mom about this on the way here. Um, I loved all my time at QU, but my most favorite time, and when I went here, it was called, um, my dorm was called um, Centennial. And it's now Keyline. Yes. Yep. And I absolutely love Centennial. But there was always um, a group of us that would sit on the back of the stairs facing the alley, which I don't think there's an alley there anymore because um, it was facing towards the suites. And we would just sit out there on the steps and just talk for hours about our day and about what's going on. And I just cherish all of that time with my friends that I've made. And, I've, and I'm still friends with them t- now to this day. Yeah, it's. I think that's a a common QU story is those is those lifelong bonds and connections you make with with your fellow classmates, but all, and the faculty as well. Yes. So let's talk about uh, hurdles, daily hurdles, big and small. What 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 is uh, the the your family's um, uh, solution to jumping over those hurdles? And so I would say we just are an amazing support system for one another. Um, I have an um, amazing family. I actually um, have a blended family. Um, my dad got, um, he is remarried and he has a child from a previous marriage. And so I am the oldest of five from a blended family. And actually I'm very blessed because my mom and even my dad and my stepmom, they all get along as one big family. So I absolutely love it now that actually um, my brother has two children now. And then my um, other brother, Bo, he is recently married. And they're hopefully will start um, showing a feeling. But I love that we all have become one big blended family. And that just helps with all of the barriers that we have experienced. Absolutely. I mean, I think so many families out there that have um, had a separation. Um, you don't hear what you're explaining very often. You hear an opposite story mm-hmm. typically. And so that's, that's wonderful that, I mean, you're just, just there, you're overcoming a bunch of obstacles oh, yeah. by I not mean, having to deal with that. <laughs> oh yeah. Like, I mean, it is amazing that there is no, I mean, they are, we are just one big happy family. I mean, at all family events, at all big holidays, all of us get together as one big family. It's not just, okay, let's go to my mom's side or my dad's side. We all get together, and I think it's absolutely wonderful. And that's all based off of our faith. We all have an amazing faith and just, yeah, like it's just one big happy family, I guess. <laughs> 
Well, and I think that, um, you know, that's the one definite common theme that I've heard here just in this short time is your your faith. And uh, one of the mantras I think that, that you mentioned uh, beforehand was, we walk by faith and not by sight. Mm-hmm. And I think I, I think that's true. And I mean, how has that impacted your life, that, that, that saying? I definitely have to walk by faith because especially with my job, I am um, a caseworker and just all the heartache that I deal with every day. If I didn't have faith, I don't know if I could do the job that I do right now. Um, God, I believe, has put me in that position to help the kids in need. Um, I, um, I work with um, kids in foster care. And before working with kids in foster care, I worked at a residential facility. It's at the same place I actually work right now, which is um, Kemmer Village in Assumption, Illinois. And I absolutely love it. Um, it's a very challenging job, but it's, always, it's also a very, very, very rewarding job as well. Um, but without faith, I don't think I would be able to stay in that job because I know that God put me there for a reason. I know that, I mean, I call my mom sometimes and I'm like, oh, I can't deal with this case or this parent or this child. It's just so stressful. And she's like, you're in that spot for a reason. And it is true. Like just, I mean, just being there when a kid gets their forever home, having an adoption, just being there for a finalizing adoption, that makes everything worthwhile. You know, that kind of kind of comes full circle. Yes. With it your does. family, doesn't it? It, yeah. it definitely does. <laughs> how did you how do you think your QU um, education and your experience here at QU prepared you for that career? Well, so I did a lot of my classes in social work, and I had Mr. Blazel, who I absolutely, and actually my mom also had Mr. Blazel, which I thought I wanted was, to put in here. I babysat for Mr. Blazel's kids. <laughs> and I, I babysat here. for his grandkids when I went here. And his yeah. daughter is now on our board of trustees, just See, as Teresa was. So that is just it's I all mean, part of the family. Yes, just definitely. But it definitely um, actually started all of my um, internships here. Um, I did one of my internships with Catholic Charities and also a DCFS. So that definitely got me started in the direction of being a social worker. So Katie, how has your mom's faith influenced your own? So she actually has taught me a lot about prayer. We pray almost every morning on the way to work. Um, Myself and Taylor will call Mimi on the phone and we'll have a prayer in the morning. And then every Sunday, um, I, um, at around six o'clock, actually, we have a prayer time that I call my mom and um, my mom's best friend and her daughter, and we all have a prayer time. And it just prepares us for the whole week. And I just, I look forward to that prayer time. I look forward to the answers of prayer that, that are received during that week and just all of the support and the positivity that comes from those prayers. But, um, sorry, but I will say sometimes I know that when we pray, we don't like the out, (laughs) we don't like the outcomes of the prayers, but there's always, and this is actually a thing that we've been talking about too, the response from God, we may not like what he's showing us then, but, but there's always a purpose. Well, I think that kind of speaks to one of the other things I think you had mentioned ahead of time 
was another kind of mantra was keep going and trust in God. Yes, you definitely have to do that because if you don't have trust in God, then you you just don't have anything. So I think the big question that everybody's probably going to want to know is Teresa had uh, a you know, wonderful experience here at QU. Katie, you did as well. So have we already filled out an application for Taylor? I will definitely, yeah, she will <laughs> definitely be filling one in, out. In a, we have a few years to work yes. on her. But, uh... Well, to be honest, Matt, we're working on the ACT. Oh, <laughs> you can never start too early. No, she can almost spell her name. Yes. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, you know, we are so blessed uh, to have you guys join us today and to share your faith, share your experiences here at QU. Is there any anything we left out we have, as we kind of start to wrap up? Any any QU story or memory or anything you you want to share with us? If I could hop in here. Absolutely. I have five friends that I've had since Quincy. And as you know, I send in photos per- periodically and of and we have an annual trip. We didn't have one this year because of COVID. But every year, the six of us get together. I was not able to participate when I lived um, out of town. But we get together, and it's just wonderful because we see each other as college students, not the 70-year-old that we're, <laughs> we're going to be in a couple years. So it's just and that Catholic foundation, we're all still Catholic, that foundation still unites us um, in many ways. But um, it's a true, true friendship. And Katie sees that, and she's developed her own group from Quincy. And hopefully she'll be able to enjoy that um, same friendship that I've been honored to have all through the years. And I, you know, I've, I've been fortunate to have that too with Cool. Uh, being an alumnus of Quincy University, we have some of my best friends yeah. and that we still stay in contact with. But those pictures that you send in are, are I mean, I'm, I'm still, <laughs> oh, waiting, to be, I know. I'm I'm still je- waiting to be invited to some I of these. I know, <laughs> I'm jealous of some of their trips that they do. I'm like, man, I really have to, now, I mean, I'm, 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 their bar is set super high for yeah. their trips. So my girlfriends and I are like, okay, well, in 30 years, we can do this trip and this trip and this trip. Yep. <laughs> well, don't yeah. be jealous, but for our 70th oh, in two years, we're going to go to Rome. Oh. And so we're kind of working on it now and developing a budget and seeing how much time people want to spend. So that's that's the big blast. I, don't, I hope that's not the end. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> and, and you'll be able to show them around. <laughs> I sure can do that. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Katie, any, any other parting words from you? No. Thank you very much for having us. This was a wonderful this experience. Was this was amazing. Good. Well, it's always fun, I think, to come back to campus and oh, uh, get to reminisce a little bit and and uh, and, and think about the uh, the days gone by, and uh, of course, there are lots of exciting things going on uh, on campus uh, with lots of new things, and so you'll be able to take some take a look at some of those while you're here. So, my thanks to both Teresa and Katie and Taylor uh, for being our guests here today. Uh, be sure to tune in next time for another episode of From the Hawk's Nest, where we talk to alumni, faculty, staff current students and learn about their journey at QU. I'm Matt Bergman. It's always a great day to be a hawk.